0: Let's
1: see it. Got this is business with benefits because there are so many things you get from business besides dollar signs. I'm on this journey with you, and I'm your host, Daryl Perry, AKA the guy with the bow tie. Made it this far, so let's get into it. Alright folks, it's the guy with the bow tie checking in with you live for another edition of Business of Benefits, a special edition. We have Richard Moore to my right, and I'm so excited about this. Richard, how you doing? Well that is so
2: good to hear from you uh, and thank you so much for having me on here and plus playing a bit of Snoop Dogg to warm me up. Uh, I almost don't want to talk and ask if you put that back on again, it's awesome. <laughs> Let's have some fun, thank you so much, I really appreciate it.
1: No problem, I, th- I thought about putting a song instead of my usual background music and it's a uh, a good duet song since we're kind of going duet on sales here. Yeah. <laughs> and we had uh, Sandra Smith here checking in saying she's team live, hey Sandra thanks for jumping on. Awesome. Got the comments going on the stream there, and I can see the comments on screen. So, Sandra, get your shout out there. Uh, so, thanks. I'm in Georgia, Rich is in the UK, and I've been enamored by your sales work for a long time. I've uh, told agents I'm training to pay attention to your content. I've told sales leaders just because you get it. Um, a lot of people don't get sales, they have a negative connotation to it. And I think you get the nobleness of sales. So, for the people that don't know who you are, kind of let them know who you are and why they should pay attention to you when it comes to sales.
2: Thanks, man. That really is a nice intro. Yeah. Um, so firstly, just by virtue of the fact I've been on the pitch for a long time. So I've, <laughs> I've been in the space for 17 years now. Uh, and uh, specifically, I help corporates uh, with their sales strategy. So often with the much higher ticket uh, items. And, you know, yeah, there is a, there are some connotations around selling and, and, and some of them are negative. So it's really about harnessing an awareness of behavior, psychology, and empathy, but in deploying it in a very simple and practical way that allows people to not just sell to people but actually get an audience who is saying, Do you know what? I'm actually quite keen on this and I'm getting some far more meaningful results. So that's really where I focus my time. But I help a lot, uh, people who are exiting corporate to start their own thing. So I look at look, work with a lot with startups. Um, I also uh, help specifically with online engagement. So you and I are both in the similar kind of space with LinkedIn. You know, we we understand how to leverage the content play, and it all goes back from my first, my ten years of my first ten years of work were were corporate in London, and my, my very first job was selling online marketing in like two thousand and two. So mm-hmm. since it's always been a sales angle uh, or commercializing things to do with reaching out and marketing and exposure and things like that. So. As a teenager, I grew up with the internet as it, as it was just starting. And then mm. my career has been very much inhabiting this space. So I'm thrilled to be, you know, look at where we've got to now, where we're doing stuff like this, leveraging a place like LinkedIn and really generating meaningful inbound things. So it's a wonderful work world to be part of. And just helping people with that is, is the thing that gets me really pumped each day.
1: Perfect. I love it. And I want to uh, real quick shout out hashtag team live. Let us know in the comments where you are with hashtag team live. Hashtag team replay. We appreciate viewerships to do the same thing when you replay this and um, I like to always hear people that are very deep in sales kind of their origin story for that matter because for me it was my first job was washing dishes at a restaurant And I did that and I remember I quit on Valentine's Day said forget this I just walked out I'm not doing this anymore and um, Dating myself my first sales job was Montgomery Ward's which is in the u.s. The old appliance store and I would get paid commission for selling refrigerators and washing machines and I had no clue what I was doing. <laughs> it was just, hey, go sell this stuff with retail inbound. Um, did it for a while and said, huh, this is kind of a cool thing. And then yeah. every job I got after that was kind of a progression of sales. But I always had this nerdy mentality about me. Like I want to know the product better than anybody else and mm. um, help you with it. So for your origin story, what was your start in sales? It's so similar in some
2: ways. I, I, My first. T- technically my first ever job when I was like 16 I wasn't cleaning dishes I was I was cleaning offices so I was like a yeah. cleaner I was just to make a bit of spare cash but um one of mine was so much that I fell into it um but I must say that there was um there's a kind of a narrative in the background so I, I was always keen on interacting with people in certain ways and things and my first sale actually was when I was about 15 because I'm a massive geek and I like built a computer. And sold it to my uncle. And suddenly I was like, I should do this for a living, you know? But, <laughs> but for sure, but, so that kind of then was, uh, it was gonna be this big business, but then it was stopped after that first sale because I was just got distracted. But what's interesting is that um, there's the studious geekiness behind everything because. Um, my story essentially is that I really wanted to be an academic, so uh, I went to uni and got my bachelor's uh, in history. Then I went and did a master's in history, and I wanted to do a PhD and then become a you know a lecturer and and write. And I was totally bowled over by the romance of learning and and you know contributing to a field within history um but I, this there was that pivot moment when um i didn't get funding for the phd so i was like okay i have to get work because i need some money so we'll part of the phd for the time being and uh i'll get, get going get a job and the first interview that came up uh was this one selling digital marketing uh and it was like this new thing it was like 2002 2003 whatever and You know, this company started in 96, a really old school like um, (laughs) Google. And they they were like, look, we're a publishing house. We sell magazines and advertising in them. However, we've got this new wing that does this web thing. So you can try, um, thank goodness I fell that side of the fence with them rather than publishing ads. I would have not gone so far. But it's interesting because um, I was the same. I was like, I don't know what to do. And they're like, don't think, just read this script (laughs) at 100 people a day if you can like as much as you can do and we'll do the rest and you learn on the job and i learned so much about agility and the mm. moment with someone and what really got me there was to be successful I wasn't smashing the phone nearly as much although i did but not nearly as much as really having a bit more empathy deployed about who i'm speaking to and what they might actually be feeling in that moment and reacting accordingly so you know it's then I remember one of my first commission checks wasn't spent on beer. It was spent on a book about selling. And I remember uh, the book, I don't know where it is now, but I remember it was um, it was called Why People Don't Buy Things. It was something like uh, that. It was really good. So I was spending money early on in that and I was always like going going back on myself to learn and relearn. And, and so and, and it's nice to be in a world where I can do that for a living.
1: I love that. And we had a quick comment from Mirab She's saying, hi guys. Team Rav, Team Baltimore.
2: I think she represents.
1: She's awesome. I had her on a little while ago. Um, so the, the geekiness you and I kind of talked before we got online about the, you know, the, the geeky part of sales. And yeah. I feel like somewhere in the '80s and '90s that wasn't the case. It was so much the the cool debonair swab guy was the sales guy, yeah. and um, they were the most loud person in the room. They were the most maybe charismatic, maybe not charismatic, but they were in your face. Energy. Um, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Do you think that's going to change? When I was coming up in sales, there was always this this phrase that uh, transfer the energy to your customer, you transfer the energy. And yeah. I kind of don't always agree with that sometimes just because I feel like the empathy part is more important than just me pushing mm. my energy. But how do you feel about that in today's day and age about this transfer?
0: Yeah. Energy?
2: Well, on that point, first, I, I feel that people talk about having energy. I think you need um, appropriate intensity when you're engaging with someone about certain moments and things like that but high energy essentially being hyperactive just is irritating for people (laughs) this is the most important part i think is that people think sales like marketing in fact they think it's a static thing and it's not it evolves Mm -hmm. and the truth is that in 2002 2003 i was being taught by a manager who inverted comments had grown up in the nineties, so his style was like in your face and energy. And I remember famously, like we weren't allowed to sit down. He was like, "We don't sit down. Stand up. You know, get on it." And it was all energy and projection. And sure, that's good because you've got to be relatively enthused, and it's preferable to be like that than bored. So it makes sense to a degree. But um, it's definitely evolved. And the truth is that if you look at if you look at sales now. It's partly because science has moved on and psychology and awareness and, and, and models and, and theories improve, but it's also conditioning. Mm-hmm. And it's precisely the same as adverts. One of the most amazing books I've got is uh, um, on Ogilvy and and what ads used to look like. And and um, I, I got a book the other day, which was from 1951, and it's like a car manual and they had adverts in it. And it's mm-hmm. big, like buy our stuff is what they run yeah. there's, not, there's no, no benefit selling or anything, and there's no nuance or anything like that. it's all just buy my thing and what it is, is is it's direct parallel to adverts because in the same way as when we first see ads when we're three or four years old we just want to buy it we fall for it after a while we get conditioned against it and and it's the same here you know like like by our age daryl we have both been so exposed to Spammy ads phone calls to our home all that stuff like it doesn't work on us so we need a slightly more evolved way of of, of uh being sold to especially because in the past there uh, you know going back across decades there was never the intensity of information in front of us that we have with the internet yes. um, the exposure to ads and selling is so much like it's uh, serious multiples of, of, of exposure so mm-hmm. Because they don't work over time, the amount of time that things do work is so short. And a great example of this is um, what's what's known as uh, often known as bro marketing and bro sales. From even as recent as 2016, there's a kind of there was a, a vibe in selling online um, with it was like very clickbaity and it was very yeah. and it was like you know. Um, you'll never believe what I managed to do with £322 per day kind of thing or, or what I managed to do with this with all that kind of those little nuances worked back then and already we're like oh, roll our eyes at it it doesn't really <laughs> right you know, so, so it's evolving r- r- more and more rapidly and you know, we're at the, if you look at where we are really now sales has totally moved again and mm. the, we dare I say we are past peak authenticity because authenticity was the tool and the buzzword of like 2019 and everyone's saying you've got to be authentic man you've got to talk about you know like like your feelings and who you are and things like that and i feel now that we'll move to a point where people are like come on like this is all i ever hear is how you feel and your rags to riches story and things like that and the human side and and who knows where we'll go from there so it's really interesting because the psychology of how people are being conditioned by sales and marketing is, is changing with, within months and years. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel that, you know, you, you can't read a book on it because it's it's changing by, by the months. It's quite a fascinating space. If you want to look at the real bleeding edge of it, especially online.
1: Yeah, I wish that, the, I guess, it's, I don't know if it's so much the academic side of sales that's part of the issue because you and I both have seen probably over the years a book comes out like a uh, predictable revenue or predictable prospecting, and yeah. everybody models this formula m- you know market-wide and then it becomes a thing and then you kind of get you know like you said desensitized to it mm-hmm. and um I even find in my own business I changed my pitch over time like I kind yeah. of what's working what's not working what are they yeah. receptive to and LinkedIn I think has the same issue that people just they connect and have this bot of uh, Hey, I don't know if you're interested in this right now, but I saw an interesting article that might you know There's this, this formula. You just know. Okay. Yeah. You think there's something interesting. I might find it interesting I get it fine, <laughs> but it's happening online I think with LinkedIn and you know mm. uh, Most sales experts on LinkedIn are saying don't pitch in the DM That's yeah. Too early, but yeah, and this yeah. is any social media, but people still do it So what do you think is the the way we kind of help evolve the whole industry? Just to make it not so a bad thing because some people hear sales and they hear that mucky here in sales, but yeah. what is the core thing you think as a sales guy to help us kind of evolve the industry so that we all just kind of, not all, but most of us get it, to have the etiquette online?
0: Yeah,
2: I, I think I think the, the problem is always going to be the same. As long as humans exhibit the animal behavior of greed and liking money and wanting to chase that, there will always be a keenness to try and cut corners and, and hack away at that and, and push a bit too much. And The reality is that the best advice and the best place for someone in this kind of space to reside is understanding that a higher than usual volume of meaningful conversations with new people you genuinely did find stimulating when you found them that you bother to invest in. Not to uh absolute point of, I did my free messages, now I'm pivoting to an ask. It's no, like an organic And understanding that volume, daily volume of new conversations will offset the fact that some people within 20 minutes will actually start warming to you and others will take six months. You know, just the fact that everyone is different. Yeah. That is where we need to understand we need to be. And and the thing I kind of keep returning to is, um, when people ask this question is that you need to take cues from the offline world and and you say to yourself, you know, if I'm meeting someone in real life where mm. the long game is in mind, this idea of like, I want this person to be my friend. A great example is at the school gates. I've got two children, right? So at the school gates, especially last year, my youngest started school. So here's a new set of parents. I'm not going to sell it, them, sure. But the point is like, these are the beginnings or the start of very new relationships where um, I need to, you know, I need to not be irritating and not kind of annoy people by being, by doing certain things. Like there's social etiquette involved here of hearing them out, letting them talk, showing some genuine curiosity, finding Mm. commonality in them. And the issue really is that, Businesses don't yet see the um mm-hmm. the, tra- the 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 kind of the commercial
0: value mm-hmm.
2: in these kind of exchanges and deploying use of time each day, like business time on these kind of exchanges because it doesn't appear to be transactional. Mm-hmm. So like a great example of this is if, if I worked for a company and there was a trade show, that company would expect me. To because they're paying for me to go to a trade show, they'd want me to go to the trade show and go to the stalls, the stands, and do what? Go pitch people. Yeah. But I'll do far better if I go there and not entertain, I'm not going to be a stand up comedian, but go and connect, you know, and like be a good guy and be an interesting person and hit it off with people basically. And that allows me to then subsequently, after the event, you know, when they're not in a trying to sell stuff themselves frame of mind.
0: Now Mm -hmm.
2: I can, I've warmed them up, I can have a talk with them. So it's all the same, like work on the, on the fact that having social interactions first is now highly practical. It's highly Mm -hmm. practical because your, your leverage isn't, isn't going to be nearly as good when it's like some cute one-liner you think you can use that's going to work off people. It's far better when the person genuinely likes you because the massive difference there is even if they're willing to listen to your sales pitch, there's a difference between being willing to listen and wanting to hear what you say because I think you're a good guy.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with the when you mentioned the offline world. I've often told my people I train that sales is often like dating, which, you know, offline world and look yeah. at how the the Tinder world has kind of changed the in-person dating of people don't want to wait to kind of talk and get to know each other. And um, that's the same thing. with So it takes that relationship part and Sandra had a good comment. She actually said, um. Uh, it sounds like relationship building <laughs> and um, I don't know, I wasn't good at that when I first started B2B sales because I came from the transactional world. So when you think of sales in your regard and everything going on and engagement, um, w- w- is there as a cue that's common for you to kind of look for to help people? Because I think in social media, every platform has a sales element, whether you want to like, admit it or not. You can yeah. sell on YouTube, you can sell on Facebook, Twitter, all of them. Yeah. So what are some cues you can tell people to look for when they're saying, mm-hmm. I'm going to message you mm-hmm. people? What are some if,
2: cues you can I mean, Firstly, you're absolutely right. Literally, it's not about what platform you can or can't tell It's like where there are people, you can make sales, simple as that. Because if you get on with for someone, and you happen to have something that, that they could benefit from when the time is right, then that then they will they will execute. So this is the big question people always asking like, so what's the formula, man? Like, how do I move from the friend zone? Like, if I get a connection <laughs> or or a comment, how do I get that to a pivot to a exploratory phone call? And specifically, because no one this is why people don't like doing sales is because they don't want to get rejection. Which is just hardwired as animals i don't want to be socially rejected how do i do that and it's like it's it's simple there are there are two cues you need to look out for and those cues you cannot force you have to earn and if you earn those cues then you have earned the right with them emotionally to ask something as if you like and the two cues are either they think That you are great, so they compliment you. So they'll say something like, "Look, I just find you like that's such a great way of putting it, or I never looked at it that way before, or Wow, you're you're like that's such an inspiring way of 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 doing things, or Thank you so much for the advice, or whatever it might be." That is them saying to you, "I'm lifting you up emotionally up here. I'm, I'm viewing you as something of an expert." And that's you earning the right there to be able to say, well, look, I know I can help with this, then why don't, why don't we explore that? And that you'll get your yes then, because mm-hmm. essentially said I, I, I'm viewing you in this high regard. The other cue is more likely. It happens uh, a bit more, is a bit more frequent, That the former is, is typically coming out of great content and things like that. The, the, the other cue is where they share a struggle. And the truth is that no one wants to share vulnerability with some mm-hmm. people they know because they're saying i i have a problem and i'm weak you know you go and ask someone in the street like like what's your challenge at the moment and what absurd cute lines that some for some reason sales people think they need to use like what's keeping you up at night or what headaches. You and, you know, oh my like, god, it's terrible right and people mm-hmm. will say things like I'm, i don't have any problems what's wrong I, I have no problem because what they're really saying is why should i lower my guard with someone i don't know because yes. self-preservation and, and ego and all that are part of it. And the psychology we don't have time to go into. But but the short version there is if someone feels sufficiently um, relaxed around you, this is a representation of trust. And mm-hmm. they feel that, that you're approachable enough. And this isn't a dialogue they they're having them with themselves. It's just how they feel through you being a good dude. Then what happens is if offered or if asked or if it comes up in conversation they share a struggle like do you know what richard the the real problem is i'm struggling with this thing when they share a struggle that's your cue as well because no one shares a problem unless they want it to be solved or at least to talk it out which is a form of of solving it so there's your cue again it's to you know to explore diving and like tease it apart a bit and then say well look i I can help with this without question Mm -hmm. explore it the holy grail is both cues at the same time? Mm. So when when someone's like Daryl, you're just the best. Like, I can't get enough of your content, and I need help with this thing. Then then you like you can't miss. But yeah. unless you get one or one or both of those cues, you just keep going with the relationship. That's how mm. it works. And in my opinion, you're still not losing if that connection you're building and the relationship doesn't turn into a cue that turns into a sale. Because you, you're making a good connection that adds yep. to your network, that person's validated in, in the connection because you've done well with them in, on the social level, so they'll show up for things like your content. Plus, nowadays, everyone has a network, small or large, if that person shows up for you, hey, three or four might, or others might as well. So it's worth yep. it in a practical sense. But. You know, the truth is some things aren't direct return on investment uh use of time. Uh, but sometimes sometimes these things will, will work out in the end. So as long as even if they don't want to buy or want to share
1: those kind of cues, you're still probably winning to a lesser degree. Yeah, I like that. And I, I, I think that's important to the empathy and the emotional intelligence of paying attention. Because yeah, that's probably where sales gets it wrong. There's these scripts and these tricks and tactics that worked in the 80s and 90s quite honestly but now you know somebody tells me feel felt found, or um <laughs> yeah. I wave a magic
0: wand over have. this
1: surely that one is yeah I, I hate those and i still see people in my organization teach that like just do feel felt found or if i wave a magic wand over your problem what would you want to have going oh, away yeah. there's so, so it, many it, old it, things in principle
2: is good and i remember when i went if ever I'm explaining objection handling, I will often explain what Phil found is as a principle. Well, yeah. so I, rem- I know anyone who's had training for me on that topic will know that I always add. But don't say i understand how you feel and my, what, <laughs> everyone, and i have even had someone i mean it would have been like 14 15 years ago someone going oh don't do feel yes i had the same thing happen
1: before
2: too <laughs> but, but what it is i said was like it's like so just bring some elegance you can say it you can use the model but just like, in a better way and i suppose the, the truth is the script works for the first five minutes with a new salesperson to give them <laughs> some kind of a rudder but you've got to make it your own if it's not your voice and your own inflections on it and your own vibe. If you look at all the best salespeople in the world, they don't sell in precisely the same way. They've got their own spin on it and most right. of their character and personality. So if it's something of a framework, I think it's great. But you've got to watch yeah. the one-liners because because they get, you're right, like people get used to it. You know? That's probably I've what never you- heard of it before. I mean, for the record, like, obviously, I've not been uh, trying to date people because I'm, I'm happily married. But, the, but without question, I can imagine that cheesy one-liners don't work so well nowadays because everyone's like, oh, here we go. And there right. must be a type of if everyone perhaps did. So you've got to do something else. Uh, I don't know, wear bow ties or something, Daryl.
1: By the it's the model, though. That's the thing when you mentioned that there's a there's a there's the lines and the tablets, but the model is always what I teach. Like, if I write a script to say, like, I don't care if you say it backwards. As long yep. as you get the psychology behind it in the model, I'm good. Yep. And then um, Catherine actually said, Catherine had a question real quick. She said, how do you know when you should back off of the sale? So you're engaging and, you know, you got to eject. When do you know to eject from that sale? Yeah, it's a really good question. So first,
2: if we go back to the point I made about cues, you only progress to the next stage of this very gentle, organic process when someone has giving you you the cue so yes you lead a conversation you nudge you ask questions and, and you you know you're, you're in control in many respects but you must make sure that the person you're speak, speaking to feel, feels comfortable with each part of the process otherwise you haven't earned the right to move to the next stage so mm-hmm. for instance if i'm going to move someone to a consulting call i have to earn the right to do that And to earn the right, I have to get the cue, which means I've earned the right in the conversation that they have wanted to share that there's a problem, or they view me as sufficiently as an expert that they complimented me. When I get them on the call, I, I don't want to talk straight away about the proposition, I want to get them feeling comfortable and, and you know, just hash out again, you know, why exactly we're on the phone. And if they, if you, and intuition is a big deal here, Catherine, it really matters if you feel like they're with you. And that's why all sales calls, I strongly advise you do by Zoom call or by Skype because you can see them and, you know, you have much more of the, of the visual cues as well. But mm. if you're in a place where, you know, you're you're having a good discussion and remember best sales are when you don't sell to someone but you help them buy That sounds cute but it's really crucial you are work them to arrive at a position where they're like oh, yeah this is right for me so you let them lead in terms of of what's being said but you're you're leading in terms of What at what time they say certain things? A really simple example being, I'd start with let's get to know each other a bit and understand what your story is. Then I'd understand a bit more about the problem because you're warmed up now about the right to hear a bit more about that problem that got us on this call in the first place. And then when you're sharing enough and I'm relating and I'm giving some advice and you're giving me, you know, cues like, ah, yeah, that's a really good idea, actually, something of a consultant. Mm -hmm. Then I'll say, we know, well, look, I definitely think I can help here. Shall, shall i explain how that can how that work and then if i get yeah let's explore that then i've earned the right to now ask for the next bit and, and and it goes on and i think one of the crucial parts here that people get wrong in sales is this: at this moment when i make an offer of what mm-hmm. it is i give them i say so so here's how it would look here's what we would do how does that sound but i haven't given a price yet i want to get confirmation and, and validation that what I've shown them or explained in principle makes sense, If am I on the right page? And this is about feedback. We should never mm. view it as a projection at this moment. We should look at its feedback. Are they with us, or have I not quite got it right yet? And if I get a lukewarm, I don't know, I suppose, well, then I'm not there yet. Well, I don't want to be giving a price to something they're not sold on. It makes sense to go, OK, no problem. It feels like I've you know, missed the mark somewhat, so we go back in. Or if it feels awkward, it's like, do you know what i screwed it up so like last thing i want to do is pressure anyone mm-hmm. and then people bring it to a, to a natural amicable close and it's wrong to say well no you should push people and push people because they need to be pushed into sales it's wrong because the truth is you'll get there are different types of customers there are some that do end up, end up buying but begrudgingly right mm-hmm. and there are those ones who are like god that was a good experience and I feel really good about buying it and I'm leaning into this journey and this experience together and isn't that a more fulfilling way of working I've come yeah. from a cold calling background many years ago and I much prefer the one where they're like
0: yeah oh that that's
2: that would be just right for me and when I get that and again this is to Catherine's question now I've earned the right to then say right so here's how it would look here's what the price would be then so yeah. ordered, they want it in principle and now i've attaching a price to what they feel is of good value if they're like nah it's not that good why am i going to give them a price against something they don't want it doesn't make sense i'm not there yet. so you never push them past the step that you're currently at you earn the right to move the next to the next step and you know if your intuition tells you that they're not interested well then don't this is why a script's a mistake and you'll agree Dal. that's why you don't force through the script because hey just read the script at them maybe i'll get a deal no just be yeah you know, sense the room you know if you're yep. losing them, if you're losing them you need to stop and check in and, and see where you are so um being pushed to make a decision if i may because she's just you're throwing this up on the screen as well i hate when yeah. people make a decision right there and then no one ever ever when they're a buyer feels any pressure if they want to buy something ever yep. People always feel pushed to make a decision if they're not sold. So I, I partly agree with Catherine's response here, but like she will also, I'm sure, concede that when you want to do something, like when you're like, "Oh man, this is just right," it guides all the all the emotional triggers, but also it just makes sense and all all the right uh, on the on the logical, practical terms. Um, she would execute on it, and so the mm-hmm. truth, if that be right, everyone will always jump when it's something they want and if it's yep. not push back and that's when you get that's why you'll get one sales pitch where someone's like cool great let's go and then precisely the same pitch, pitch to someone else they'll say whoa whoa, whoa don't push me we yep. need like a few weeks to discuss this and i'm willing to think about it and that's just feedback you, you haven't quite got it and and um everyone hates being pushed but that only happens when they're not sold themselves it's an interesting it's just all this fun psychology to understand
1: yeah, I think that kind of breaks down the old methodology of it's a numbers game, and I I get that with the law of large numbers and everything, it's just at the same time, in the internet world, I feel like it's not so much a numbers game when you pay attention to the cues, and I feel like there's this entitlement, when, when you said earn the right to move to the next step, a lot of salespeople don't like that, they hear that you have to earn the right, and I don't know where that entitlement came from, but yeah. Maybe it's because back in the day we had the information and the consumer didn't. But yeah, you hear a lot of pushback from salespeople about i earn the right. I'm the salesperson. Like, do you see them kind of some resisting people, that methodology?
0: Some are,
2: yeah, some people are very bullish. Like, nah, nah I'm just going to push through it. But it's like what you're looking at is is, is like it's like it's very. Beautiful. They think it's noble mm-hmm. to push through. But it's like, but look at the evidence. When I get on a call, basically every single one is a deal. Because I've gone through a process of warming. And, and I'm not doing 40 calls a day. I do far less than that. And, but I'm only doing the one to deal because I'm crafting out something that is going to get us there. The problem is that, and I can speak with authority on this because I've worked with, with uh, high volume sales and, and coached it as well cool. and had to do it in the yeah. right way. The problem is the confirmation bias issue. Which mm-hmm. says if I do one hundred and thirteen dials a day, and that converts in a week to what was like five hundred and seventy dials, whatever, and I get a sale out of that. Well, then it works, right?
0: Yeah. <laughs>
2: well, well, not.
0: That, to a that, degree.
2: That's like saying if I if I if I buy ten thousand lottery tickets a week, I win the lottery. Well, you might win some of the lottery, but it's not it's not a fulfilling way of working. But it's also Huge amount of wastage, and just go. And then we can before we even go into things like really, when you're seventy, do you want to look back and go, "That's how I lived my life"? Before even go yeah. to that kind of thing, you've got to say to yourself, like, it's not, it's not like you only got one positive thing and the rest doesn't matter. You just pissed off five hundred people. Right, <laughs> like, it's really negative for your reputation, and it's far better to. And, and let's be clear, I'm a massive extreme advocate of volume. But only with mm-hmm. quality. who say quantity or quality no both why wouldn't you try both so like as much as you can get out to new people all the time and when i first started online consulting like five six years ago I would do 20 new conversations every day which is a good yeah. number you do when you're when you're putting soul into these conversations and not copy and pasting things yeah um, you know there is some pushback but the truth is if you look at the results it's like yeah, but you're burning through hundreds of leads to probably yeah. not that many sales. And so that's something to bear in mind. It's about output, isn't it? And about what you end up with
1: as, as opposed to, to um, whether or not something technically can work. Yeah, that's brings like of an interesting question because you and I both did cold calling. When I, when I started my career, I was brand new to B2B. I moved into a state I had no relationships in. So um, everything was cold calling. I literally would come to the office and I said, I'm not leaving until I have two appointments a day and sometimes it took an hour sometimes it took eight hours <laughs> but that was my metric but now in this phase of my career that's definitely not what i'm doing now um it's more so being targeted and specific and sandra actually asked a good question she said do you believe cold calling is still the way to go i see more coaches pitching how to make the sales come to you so we've got to touch that a little bit what and a
2: question this is such a such a relevant question for now mm-hmm. i think we should start with this though because both of us deploy content marketing, which mm-hmm. is uh, put out content and allow and have people self select, warm themselves against this content and
1: say, Hey, that guy's quite good. I will go to him. Mm-hmm. What do you think of interest I think it's a combination because I mean, I, I, I call it spears and nets when I teach my people. So I'll say a spear is cold calling, I can directly control that. I'm attacking a certain thing. Yeah. it's it's influenceable a net is like i throw it out there and see what happens and mm-hmm. it's a design net you know you put some talking into the net you don't just make a haphazard one okay. but if you throw it out there it's out there for several mm-hmm. hours you see what happens but the cold yeah. calling is like an hour i'm gonna make these phone calls so i kind of combine the both myself
0: yeah I, th- I think
2: i think one has to it's romantic to do a content-led or net-based uh, kind of uh, approach and everyone wants to sit on a throne and have people come to them isn't that a wonderful thing to but uh, in real life and and, uh, we've got probably a similar number of followers i think and we've got like you know we've been around for a a while on linkedin we share we've got something of an audience and Mm. like yes it's good to get loads of inbound stuff that's really good you have to work and deploy time and patience against that but here's the thing if I had to make a thousand quid today to make payroll I would not be doing content on LinkedIn, <laughs> not honest, I would be yeah. on the phone and in the DMs. So the answer to the question is one billion percent, I know you're a, you're a finance guy you won't like that, but yeah. a billion percent, <laughs> you totally can and should be aware that set cold calling and let's call it cold outreach yeah. DM are, are the new cold calling um 100 that stuff is very relevant in certain scenarios and yeah. one of those scenarios is on day one when you're launching a business and you need traction you need money you need, you need, you need cash in the door if you are holding out and holding your breath and you've got very, very little income as a business and you're purely relying on your content marketing it's a huge error in my opinion and, and before anyone get, gets all uh, uptight about it, I'm not saying you shouldn't do content marketing. I'm not saying you shouldn't do your podcast and your blogs and things like that because they all contribute. But what I am saying is nothing in the moment beats manual. Nothing beats going out to 20 new people that day and having real present live conversations with humans in that mm. moment. You cannot beat that. The, the best version of of uh, uh, approaching someone fresh and cold is in a DM because it's a lovely way of of kind of building a, um, a nice relationship with someone on, on a uh, kind of a specific, uh, tailored, individual sense. Content's wonderful. I'm yeah. a huge fan of it. I use it all the time. I'm, I am talk about it in electronic loads. But I'm not just doing this because I have this love of sales. <laughs> but I'm saying this because Practically speaking, I've seen so many startups choke mm-hmm. and solopreneurs stay, oh, I going to rhyme, solopreneurs stay broke because they don't get on the phone or they don't get into the DMs. And yeah. I'm not just old school here. Humans buy from humans and great if you can warm them through content, but if you need sales certainly at the start if you're not knocking on the door there's a level of arrogance there that I think needs to get you need to get rid of and you need to suck it up and speak to people and if you speak to them with a view as we've already described to build a great connection start with that you know authentic and organic uh, relationship human to human to begin with in mind then you'll probably be pleasantly surprised by it but if you want action you need to get on the pitch don't people will come and check you
1: out. Yeah, I think part of that is too, is the definition of cold calling. I mean, I, I've changed my definition over the yeah. years. Like my previous definition was just making calls. Yeah. But um, I, I feel like- It's in a name, right? Yeah, that's it, you know nothing about them. But today's information age, a cold call just means they weren't expecting you, in my opinion. If they weren't expecting you, that's a cold call. So um, do you think there's part of that's part of the reason when people, you know, when you meet new sales agents or people you're training and they're like, oh, I hate cold calling. Do you think the definition is part of the reason why they resisted? I do. And that's
2: why people say I hate sales. It's like
1: you're a salesperson. When
2: someone's like, I'm a marketer. No, you're not. (laughs) It's just a different guise of it. And what people really mean when they say I hate cold calling Mm -hmm. is I hate social rejection. Well, of course, Mm -hmm. you do, because the animal that still resides in our old brain is hardwired to hate being socially ostracized or being rejected because it represents danger to us like not being part of the tribe and you know we're all in trouble then that's the old brain that's not evolved to the 21st century yet and so what we're really interested in is how can we make cold calling effective and you, you've nailed it like like I, I coach it loads and and effective cold call cold calling isn't this guy technically is a ceo and there's his number i'll call him it's a refined way in which you've un- you've done your research you understand maybe where your mutual connection is you've deployed the fact that you know we have we have uh you know in internet portals and things like linkedin to give us detail on them done the research and you go going with a you- with saying the right kind of things rather than sounding like an idiot <laughs> so yeah. it can really work and i just think that that what people really mean is i don't like rejection and it's funny how the rejection drops away when you, when you do the research and put the work in and suddenly you go from I hate sales and I hate cold calling to this is really good people are
1: really welcoming me
2: in and they're really quite thankful for it and oh, I just made a few thousand quid but this is quite a nice bonus on it
1: yeah and sales I mean it's such a, a change agent for businesses I mean because nothing would happen not nothing, but a lot of things wouldn't happen with business if the sales didn't happen. And uh, Nick Dorsey, that said previously, start with networking. And he also said, LinkedIn has been huge for me meeting with new vendors. 90% of my vendors are from networking with me and building a relationship. 90%. That's awesome, Nick. And I've had friends of mine say, if I want to find something, I look it up on LinkedIn. If I want to find a consultant, professional, whatnot. So for the people that are on LinkedIn and they haven't kind of quite gotten it, they're not getting the sales. Uh, Where do you think is the crux of that? Is that their profile is weak or they're not engaging enough? Or you know, what do you think is the crux of why they're not having any results from it?
0: Yeah, it's a really
2: good question. Uh, often profiles, because the majority, genuinely, you think about it, 690 million people, but like 3 million actually bother with content and doing this kind of thing properly. So the majority of people still think LinkedIn is as it was in 2010, let's say, which is essentially a resume. And it, mm-hmm. uh, your profile and representation there is as though you might be looking for a job. But instead, you need to look at the profile. Yeah, it's a bit more optimized, something of a brochure helping the person who is actually curious enough to want to click on you and find out a bit about what you do. I have a few search for content. What my advice would be that you should. Sure, we can talk about doing content, but not everyone's going to do that. I think it would make a lot of sense to start conversations each day and and approach it with a bit of a metric in mind. Like, you know, I'm going to do ten new conversations a day. And not for like three days you know for seven months do it non-stop mm. three days nothing it's easy but three a day you know that's a lot in a month is 150 and so mm. suddenly we're in a uh, is 150 no it's not <laughs> it's a three days 60 you know so that 60 a month is a lot and it means we're in a really good place here where we have um, you know people saying okay I'm building a network really hearing about me and now I'm in a quite an exciting place where people are like, uh, interested in learning a bit more about what I do and
1: you never know what you're gonna uncover. That's, that's the interesting part about it, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, for me, like all I use is LinkedIn and you use other platforms as well. So would you say the tone or the, the way you sell on other platforms is different? It's all pretty much the same no matter what platform you're on.
2: It's the same cause it's humans. And people yeah. talk about, non-marketers do rightly talk about the context of it being slightly more businessy on LinkedIn. I get that um, but I think there's still just you know humans are humans really and, and there's a saying you know of, of like you know when you're on Facebook you're there to socialize you know you're not there with a credit card in hand where you're much likely to be in lead on LinkedIn kind of but not I think what it relates more to is what industry you're in if I'm in lifestyle and very B2C stuff I really need to be more on Instagram and and Facebook can I do well on LinkedIn yes but the reason I do better on LinkedIn isn't because of context. It's because of distribution. Because on on LinkedIn, you you get an outrageously generous algorithm. So people mm-hmm. think that B2C should be done on LinkedIn now. A lot of marketers will, will say this. It can work really well on, on LinkedIn. Um, but that's not because LinkedIn is a B2C platform. It's because so many more people look at it that you pick up more wins. It's just more of a volume play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense to... To be using LinkedIn um, uh, with perhaps a bit more of a formal air, especially if you're in B2B. But at the same time, you got to think about the kind of clients you're after. Um, those content marketers that deploy, um, or, or like that, that poke fun at the uh, subculture of their industry. Like if you poke fun at, like insurance, for instance, and things like that, and made skits about it, that would attract a certain set of people who are, you know, quite open-minded and find that fun and and would therefore want to buy you because they're they're buying the kind of the vibe and the personality and we both Mm -hmm. know also that there's slightly more dry-minded people who are traditionalists who wouldn't go near that kind of flavor because what they want is someone who seems to be very measured and um you know has that kind of more of a traditional vibe but truth is that you can't really miss because there's every type of person you'll ever do business with is on linkedin so it makes sense Mm
1: -hmm. to yeah that's what sandra actually put a comment about she said she asked about direct sales and networking so kind of like when you go to a networking event and meet a mary k rep or yeah. a uh your, or some kind of cosmetics or something that's a direct sale versus the b2b so but you broke that down you can make it work it's just kind of a different audience to yeah some of those things
2: and sometimes it's just
1: not going to work so my bro-in-law
2: is a locksmith so he works within a radius of like 50 miles and if someone's locked their keys in their car he'll help there's no point in being on LinkedIn. <laughs> you know, yeah. but like Facebook ads, he's killing it on there. It makes sense, right? So so there's, there are some points where it's just a waste
1: of time. Yeah, you can target better on Facebook. Well, yeah. another thing too, so as we're looking through relationship building and everything with the different platforms, the time element, people always wonder like, how much time do I spend on this? So for me, like, I, people think I'm on LinkedIn all day. Um, I'm not, my computer might say it's on, I have that little green dot thing I'm on. Green dot, yeah. yeah, so people think I'm on all day, but it's really like probably I'll post something, I'll hang out for like an hour yeah. after I post it to watch the comments, leave, check the mm-hmm. messages here and there throughout the day when I steal moments. So for yeah. the average person, what's that time investment? If you're saying B2B is my space, lengthens my play, how much time do you finish should I spend daily on watching their engagement to help their sales?
0: Yeah.
2: Good question. And I think I think one must always understand that there's no limit to it and you get out what you put in. Uh-huh. And when I started I was like, right, I've got enough money coming in to be able to throw everything out of this and, and like loads and loads of time. But then the truth is as you get more busy, you can't. So I think it's reasonable to spend time to, 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 to produce some content and post it. And, you know, thing trending at the moment is text only. So you don't even have to do video in that. You can just write something. If you've got an opinion on your space, write it and get something out with some frequency each day. So post one today. it's not hard to do. You do have time for it. And yeah, like use an hour, use an hour with, uh, you know, to, to keep skipping back and check out the content, not to see if people are looking at it, but to respond to comments. But in the meantime, go distribute it, like speak to people you know, and say, hey, I wrote this thing. And what do you think? And, and then go and comment on other people's content as well. So you genuinely can spend an hour, an hour and a half a day and that will be it uh, and do really well, I would say. Uh, but if content is 90%, uh, sorry, wrong, if content is 10%, then community engagement with people, uh, potentially might be your audience, who might even be your buyers, that's gotta be 90%. Like, it has to be. And I'm the same, like, a lot of people seem to think I'm on LinkedIn, like and like, I'm present, sure. I'm aware the notifications are turned on, but yeah. I'm not on it all day because there's this thing called a job. I'm actually <laughs> doing the time. It's a crazy idea, and and um, so I'm not on it all the time. But I do have a set intentional time period right, where I'm like, right, for this half an hour, I'm writing the content and putting it up and babysitting it, um, and for this hour, for instance, I'm engaging with people who I like uh, and to keep those relationships alive. But I'm also, you know looking to meet with new people because that's a very good use of time then when it hits that because i'm very much watch the clock for this kind of thing it hits that time the window gets shut and i move on to the next thing and, and so uh, i think we must be intentional because we can really use this as a, a one of the best tools out there um but we can't let it use us we don't want to yeah. into inane scrolling but i must say it's funny because some people are lamenting at the moment about how the algorithm isn't giving people as much distribution. It's like, you're getting thousands of views if you post on LinkedIn against 690 million people, that the audience which contains all the people you have to do business with, and it's free.
0: Yeah, it's free, yes, it's
2: <laughs>
0: yes.
2: I mean, everyone needs to get a little bit of perspective. And I, I, I'm like, I'm 40 this year, so when I started selling, there was one computer, you know the big monitors? One computer and I had to borrow it at lunchtime.
0: <laughs> I didn't
2: have my own desk, man. I had to sit on the desk with my manager. I had a pen and a phone and our contracts came back through fax, remember those? Yeah, and, yeah. And I and it would dial the number. There was no Skype or IP phone <laughs> like that. And I, I would do a walkthrough of our marketing, but without a computer, I had print offs of the home page and then the page I'd show them. I'd say, now, if you click on there and I turn the piece of paper. So, like, you need to get over it. There's some yeah.
0: weird
2: tools out there. And we didn't have LinkedIn back then. And even if, even by, you know, only a few years
1: ago, LinkedIn was not not the bu- busy place it is now. You're right. I think, I think I'm barely a millennial, just like you. So, yeah, I think I we have. In X <laughs> by one year, I think.
0: Okay, see, I'm at the
1: eighty-one. that so it was like eighty-one. Yeah,
0: you, different yeah.
2: So you're okay. the Gen X. I feel like a granddad now. Thanks.
1: No. But see, the good thing about it, we have that experience of we're not lamenting old school because we didn't have computers. We we have them. It just yeah. wasn't the same. And I saw Ronald Richards. Uh, shout out Ronald Richards. He talked about yeah, this it recently. Bad. Yeah, he said my views are down 50 percent, and do I care? And I commented like mine are down twenty-seven percent. I haven't a care in the world because yeah. it's still a couple thousand views a week. Like. My, yes. a web page wouldn't get that if you get to make a great web page you won't get that so exactly, and it's awesome. a, so that, that's a crucial point like if you're relying on those
2: views then you're in trouble right so do better be more frequent perhaps or go and spend more time in the messages one-on-one because the people are still there I mean, you yeah. know even if it's down by a bit what if you call them have you messaged everyone on LinkedIn of course you haven't there's plenty more Um and, and I think you know, Ronald and you and I will all agree even fifty percent less views is still outrageous views. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Go
2: try doing that on Facebook.
1: It's not Absolutely and some, some that's what sometimes my you know my mentors in my business or agents that work with me are like, You're just spending so much time on there, like, No, I'm not, but how are you getting seen? You know, yeah. how, how often are you have seen? Even if I'm just seen. I've been in several situations where I'm at a, a grocery store or I'm at a, a meeting another professional and they're like, Oh, I've seen you online you're and that bow tie guy. That's yes, crazy. that's exactly what happens. And the funny thing before LinkedIn, the bow tie was marketing that when I would uh, close a deal, I had a bow tie on. So when another agent or another person would walk in there, they said, I don't remember his name, but some guy with the bow tie does our benefits. Yeah. Um, okay. Pre internet, you know, just people are yeah. saying that. And Nick Dorsey, yeah. she had a great comment. Most, of my, audience, most of my audience is US,
2: so I'm the English guy. You know, i <laughs> yeah. oh, forget my name.
1: And uh, Nick Dorsey had a great content comment. He said, networking events are the be- are better for me. I can meet someone personally and I can tell by body gestures on how our relationship will go. I'm a huge person to person with my vendors. So Nick, you figured it out. You figured out the human element. Um, it's and really- nothing, nothing will ever be that. Yeah. Will be it's really human to human, not B2B. I mean, I know that's the way to differentiate it, but yeah. at the end of the day, it's human to human. But, but not just in lockdown. But because of slight need for efficiency
2: over time, you know, you can't visit everyone, as we know, sure. and networking events are efficient in some way. The truth is that the the next step down, although it's quite a long way down, because although we can understand each other's cues here visually, nothing beats being in the room and really sensing it it a bit more visceral. The truth is that a video call is far better and that's why for instance in my messaging i usually use voice memos because a voice will give emphasis and dynamics and and emotion and all that kind of thing and intent and tonality whereas text text is like the last resort because you can't convey nearly as much and i don't care what anyone says like voice beats text every time but video beats beats a lot really well but you know he's nailed it you know if you can meet in person you always should but that's why I dare people to try doing, uh, instead of phone calls, if they're meeting someone, to do a Zoom chat. I'd really suggest it because
1: you you just,
0: like, you get
2: undivided attention there and you get so much more from them.
1: Yeah, and I'm, I'm the same. I use voice messages and Zoom and all that. And this would just increase the frequency of those things And before when COVID-19 hit. And um, yeah. I forgot to ask before we get out of here, how's the family doing? Because I know the UK is going through a different version of the... Coronavirus yeah, yeah in the US. Thank you, man. Yeah, it's um it's rough here
2: to be honest. We're all still in lockdown. Um it's strange because, you know, it's like 10 weeks in and everyone's getting this sense of, "Oh, okay, well maybe it's we're getting a bit better now. We're over the peak, right?" And we're over the peak because we've all been at home and yeah. coronavirus the virus hasn't gone away, it's just as bad as it was. But so there's a definitely some complacency, especially since we've had like we've had like our quota of of warm weather for a decade in the last month. <laughs> so it's, mm. like, it's like Spain here at the moment it's really, I'm wearing shorts, I won't show you my legs but I'm in shorts, and so it's like it's really hot, and, and but that's meant people wanted to go out to the beach now, but I have two young daughters and they're in, like they've got a pool in the garden and they're just you know, we're doing work, we're doing schoolwork homeschooling's good fun uh, mm. we could be way worse off, we're, we've got everything we need it's wonderful to spend time together and we'll never have this again, you know you get your holidays with them, but uh, an extended amount of time amazing my wife and i a year ago were getting sad about the fact that our youngest daughter was about to go to school and they was like that's it we won't have them around loads mm. and it's like be careful what you wish for you know so yeah. we're getting nice time with them and um do i want them to go back to school i think that structure would be great <laughs> let's <Yeah>. say <laughs> but 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 you know safety is important so yeah everyone's all right we were you
1: know we've we've stayed well and and we've done we're being vigilant so i hope the same for you yeah, we're we're staying, and I, I I wish our country took the same leadership your country did with um, staying on lockdown longer. Um, no no um, comment on your president. Sorry. Yeah, Ooh, um, a, it's a long show for that, and we don't have another hour. Yeah, I'm am a fan of science, I'm glad your country followed science. So
2: yeah, you know. we are led, we are being led by it. So every every day our meeting we have chief medical officer and the chief science officer and and decisions made on that. Whether or not there are right decisions is a political discussion again, but at yeah. least that's and center which is the right way to do it.
1: There you go. And one last comment we have from Sandra Smith about your voice messages. He said I don't use voice messages, but I will start now. Thank you.
2: Yeah, give um, it a shot. Sure. And and do you know what Sandra Every time Daryl will agree, he must have had the same. Every time you do it, someone who's never had one, which is frequent.
0: Yes.
2: back. I often they will try it back, which is amazing. But usually you get you get. Oh my god! I didn't realise there was voice messages. What thing? Yep. And I really, and this is the best part for salespeople. I really feel like I know you now. Thank you so much. And it's like here we go, and that and the it just breaks the barriers right down. Plus, how efficient is it? You can you can leave voice messages at the rate of like three times you can type it plus if you're yeah. walking in the street, you don't crash into lampposts and people as much
1: so yeah plus a voicemail on a cell phone people don't check those mm-hmm. A uh, voice message here on LinkedIn I don't know the open rate but it's pretty high that people will listen to it so
2: but the psychology because the psychology, it's so unknown
1: will ruin yeah. it
2: honestly three or four years from now it'll be ruined but, but <laughs> four years, it's like wow what's this thing Leveraging human curiosity, plus with text, you can glance at it and see if it's spammy or not. When you get that little play arrow and that line, it's like a bespoke message, basically. For me, (laughs) how can I not let there's no message on this planet that someone's not pressed play on? They have to listen
1: to it. Yeah, like it's in my inbox. What is it
2: (laughs) exactly? It's the novelty of it all. So, I'm glad she's trying
1: it. Perfect. Well, Richard, I appreciate this. I've been a fan of yours for a long time. I've been on LinkedIn since 2010, just like you mentioned, all the old stuff back then. So, um, been a fan of yourself for a long time. Appreciate what you're doing. And thanks Thank for joining you. us. Anything you're going to leave the audience with, like how to find you or any projects you're working on? Uh, sure. Uh, I do not pitch too much. That would be weird, wouldn't it? But yeah,
2: i am <laughs> actually, uh, so yeah, we've got, gosh, there's so much. So, let's connect. You know, LinkedIn's best place. It's like linkedin.com slash in slash Richard James Moore. Someone took Richard Moore. I kind of have a common name. So, uh, I've got Richard Moore. Uh, if you join me there, I'd love to connect with you there. Uh, or if you go to richardmoore.com, uh, you can find out other stuff about me as well. But it'd be great to connect with people on here. And thank you so much. I really appreciate it, Daryl. No problem.
1: I'm going to put the webpage up there for people so they can see it. Thanks. Um, big screen. But thanks for joining me, guys. Thanks for the engagement and jumping in the comments and liking and all that, because that's what the purpose of this is, for you to learn and engage people you don't talk to all the time. So uh, thanks for another edition of Business Benefits. We'll catch you all next time. Cheers. Thank you. The Way of Life Group is an insurance firm dedicated to helping small businesses get the resources they need to grow which includes employee benefits for any budget. Please check us out on LinkedIn for more information.